This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm. Craziness. Craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency On Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency On Demand. Today, I have a fantastic guest who has a wonderful business. I'm super excited to talk because we have a few little things in common, and I'm really happy that he's coming on to share his story. So please welcome with me, Nathaniel Swaprück. Welcome to the show. I, I- Wow. Hey, everyone. So glad to be here. And I'm super excited for this One Hour Power on Efficiency podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. So first, before we get started to listen to your story, tell everyone who you are, where you are and what you do. Absolutely. So actually from Zurich in Switzerland, I'm living here. I'm not I didn't go grew up here. I grew up in the big mountain in Switzerland. I'm 31 years old and inspirational speaker and victorious mindset mentor where I help people to develop a victorious mindset no matter the circumstances. Well, and that's basically the perfect way for me to get in. So I know already a little bit about your background story, but I want to know, first of all, what... How do you define victorious mindset? That's a wonderful question. For me, it's kind of the experience that someone gets along with looking at, not at the situation itself, but looking beyond the situation because we all probably have already had a few situations where we didn't want to continue where we wanted to give up, where we had maybe difficulties, struggles. But as I always say, it's not the end of life, neither is it the end of the world. I So my belief is like that in that everything works out for the good. And um, if we keep going, if we push through, and uh, I think a victorious mindset is all about to it's seeing the victory in everything and in everyone and uh, yeah and keep moving I love that so let's dive back a little bit in your history yourself how you grew up so tell me a little bit when was the point that you needed to start to develop your own victorious mindset in your life I think it was firstly with um seven years old so this was the time when I had my second kidney transplant, mm-hmm. which that means the first seven years of actually, yeah, the first six years of my life. So I got chronic ill with one year old and then the 
from H1 to H7, I actually didn't have, how we say, I had no clue what a real life actually looked like. I was spending a lot of time in the hospital. I lost my own kidneys. I had already one kidney transplant going through with five years old. And uh, I was doing life-saving treatment three times a week, every week. And then there was age seven when I had my second kidney transplant, which was for me the absolute dream because for two and a half years while I had the kidney, it was firstly for me was the best friend for me because I realized that the kidney gives me everything what I was asking for as a little kid. And uh, I could feed myself, I could go out, um, do hobbies with my friends, uh, go to kindergarten and school, and um, never had to worry about to to go back to that crazy um, life-saving treatment every two days. And uh, so that went well for two and a half years. And then after the two and a half years, unfortunately, my chronic illness destroyed that second kidney transplant again. For me, it was a huge disappointment, firstly, and on the other side, the disappointment was so big that I fell into a deep depression of about two weeks. I wasn't I wasn't talking anything, I wasn't eating anything, I almost didn't move. And I was like just lying on the couch and thinking about how can I end this life? Why did that happen to me and why why not somebody else? And for me, so the time came after two weeks, I had, was growing up in a wonderful family. My parents realized something is not something is not right, not just medically wise, but also psychologically wise and mentally wise. As a family of faith, we got uh, some pastoral care that coming in and and there was a time when I realized, okay, life can go on beyond the circumstances, whether I have a kidney or not. There is something, um, one day that event or those all events that I'm going through will work out together for the good. And the uh, past, what now, almost 40, 20, 24 years, 24 years later, yeah. I really can realize that, yeah, that besides all those struggles that I have or had, I never had so much, yeah, so much things that I could learn and give away to the people. And um, of course, it's always developing. And uh, it wasn't just the first seven years, it continued like up to 15 years old when everything becomes stable. But after 40 operations, 4,500 life-saving treatment, and by the doctors, I shouldn't be alive for six times. I can say that life is amazing, and life is, for me, really something to celebrate and giving people what, what I could learn about in all this journey. That is truly amazing. Thank you so much for sharing this. If you don't mind, I would love to dive a little bit deeper in some of the uh, milestones along the way. So for everyone who's listening, I would like to explain a little bit 
the definitions or conditions of that so that people understand what we are talking about here. So the life-saving treatments that Nathaniel is talking about, they are dialysis. So basically you go into hospital and what they do is basically they have to clean your blood because your kidneys that are supposed to doing this are not able to do it. Is that right? That's perfect. Okay. Perfect so, <laughs> and for people who do not, who cannot really understand what that means. So if you have to go into hospital and do that, and I only know that because I do have a kidney failure that I was born with. So I had to learn all about it. <laughs> <laughs> and keep it in mind for the time that I'm supposed to do that, which will not come, knock on wood. <laughs> so but for, for the people who, who don't really know what it means, so basically there, uh, I understand there are two different versions of dialysis. So either you go into the hospital and you be plugged into the machine that basically pumps your blood out, cleans it, and pumps it back in. That's number one, right? And then you can go okay. home and it takes like six to eight hours. Is that right? Yeah, it's about uh, one and a half days. Mm -hmm. Break of one and a half days. And so right now I'm going on Monday, Wednesday, Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. But then from Friday evening until Monday midday, it's one and a half days. So that's where I feel it much more because you have to understand that listen is that every every food, every drink that I take is usually there are substances mm -hmm. in in the food that the body needs, the body will take it out. And all the other stuff the body doesn't need, the kidney cleans it out. Yeah. So that goes from uh, vitamins to calcium to all that um, mm -hmm. different things. And uh, so in in a case like me, the, the blood basically has too much of the things the body needs. In other words, the blood gets toxic. Yeah. And so the, the blood gets toxic and that had to be filtered mm -hmm. through how the four hours of dialysis. Yeah. If I wouldn't do that for one week, I would, of course, pass away because of uh, the full toxic in the right. body. Right, which would basically cause a blood infection, right? And then the the aftermath of it. Yeah, actually, at the end of the latest stage. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. So, and the second version of dialysis, I understand you could also go into hospital and stay overnight, and they they would do a different version of that. But I don't remember what it was because it wasn't a option for me. <laughs> Do they do a different way of cleaning or do they give you any medication with it that keeps the blood cleaner for a while? Or what's a different way of if you go into hospital and stay there? So the second one is basically called peritoneal dialysis. Uh -huh. You want to go on Wikipedia. So it, <laughs> it's basically the, like I had that in the early stage of my life for the first three years. Mm -hmm. So you have a hose on in your stomach that goes into your stomach. Then at night it goes, so that was the time I had it. I don't know if something changed today, but at the time I had it, it was like salt and kind of sugar water went into the stomach mm -hmm. and separated the food from 
oh. everything and then it took it out actually like um fake like pooping yeah. <laughs> so you put something in and then it goes out right oh that's the way i had it unfortunately so this time this kind of treatment, I had it at home. In my case, it didn't work any longer after those three years when I had it because I always had infection in my mm. stomach mm-hmm. as well. I had um, artificial feeding. Yeah. So what happened is like I was fed during the night through my nose. Yeah. And at the same time, sugar water, salt, sugar water went into my stomach mm-hmm. and I had Almost every night I had to vomit. Mm. And that led to infection as well. For my parents, they were always had to, to be up at night because when I had to vomit, automatically there was an alarm on the machine and the treatment couldn't go on. And sure. so, yeah, that are actually those two treatments that I have. Okay. Oh. So the next thing I would like to explain is the kidney transplant. So... Do you have both kidneys? Because you explained that both kidneys got destroyed, but do you get both transplanted basically? So do you get two new kidneys or new old, like secondhand, <laughs> is it <laughs> secondhand kidneys implanted or is it one that you get? It's only one. So uh-huh. usually you only get one, uh, one transplant. There are two reasons first one is you can live with one kidney mm-hmm. actually below so up to if, if a kidney works for 30 percent of the capacity you don't have to go to dialysis so mm-hmm. one kidney and the other reason is that they want to make sure that mm, a lot of people get transplanted at yeah. the same time sure. Yeah, so you Absolutely. only get one. Yeah. And also that it works with your system because sometimes the body rejects it after a few weeks, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now everyone is on the same page with us, what we are talking about here. So now that we know that, let me ask you a little bit about the time that you, uh, after the second uh, implant or transplant when you were seven, right? You had these two and a half years. Was it the first time for you that you went to kindergarten and then school and you actually were able to take part in the social life? Or did you already had days in between all of your treatments that you were able to go before? I actually started shortly after kindergarten Mm -hmm. when I got transplanted. Before I was just, yeah... (laughs) being a family kid and staying at home or in the hospital. But yeah, kindergarten is actually the first the first time I had, yeah, just went there. And um, the cool thing was like, I think up to, yeah, then kindergarten and then first, first class and half of the second class that mm-hmm. I could attend almost. Yeah, full time. Mm-hmm. Of course, I had to go in the beginning, I had to, to go for appointments a lot of times during the week, but then less and less. I remember that be- shortly before the the kidney got degraded again, it was like only like one month, mm-hmm. once per month, where I had to go for an appointment. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a huge difference between going three times a week 
right. uh, woman. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, for me, it was just a time of really flourishing. I think that's the best word to describe because, of course, I had a lot of medication that changed my outlook. Like I looked like a balloon because of the, all the uh, antibody medication. But I didn't care because it was just, I didn't care what people would say or think about that because I knew my kidney, I, I got my kidney now, what I took at that time for lifelong. Mm-hmm. And uh, so life really become purposeful in a sense. And uh, as well, I said, uh, beneficial and flourishing in all areas of life. Because I think like as a kid, you grow up in a in a hospital and you you don't actually know the world outside you because you've never been there. And uh, maybe imagine yourself it's like almost like being in a in a movie and then you step out of the movie and you have to learn everything that people learned or or the kids and friends learned over the last seven years and uh, that was a little bit for me kind of as well challenging to to stick to the to the to the learning like mm-hmm. some people let's say I played soccer or football and um yeah I people did that for like my friends did that for the last two three years but I just started and so you kind of yeah, question yourself or start to question yourself as well. Like, who am I or what I'm here for? Like, well, what is it that, why did it not happen before for me? But on the other side, it's like, well, okay, now I finally can can do it. And that was a little bit my uh, my emotion, always in the tension of, uh, I want to be the same like the others, but also acknowledging acknowledging that, no, that I basically six years behind of my life or right. something like that. Yeah. And that's how I felt, yeah. Right. So I wonder, because I, I mean, people who listen to me know that I'm not very fond of children because they can be really mean beasts. Have they been bullying you in school when you've finally been able to go? And you just said like the look was a little bit different for you because the medication changed the way you look and and maybe you also because you were six years behind in being around kids, maybe you just behaved differently or you were a little bit more excited than everyone else, you know? So how did the children in your class treat you? Absolutely great. Because um, I never was bullied or something like that. Of course, uh, there were every now and then there were a word too that people make fun about or a friend or even a best friend. But it wasn't like that I was constantly bullied. Mm-hmm. And uh, my classes and my friends and school comrades were really yeah amazing people up to when I left my my high school and all that. The cool thing was maybe that was the case as well. I was more like growing up in a very little town where everybody knew everybody almost. Mm. And uh, 
So parent, you are basically friends of other parents. <laughs> so that, <laughs> and uh, so I think that there was kind of a, a culture already where people just accepted each other, and there wasn't much change. Like, I mean, if you live in Chile, you have a much more diverse culture or or diverse diversity of people yeah. and that wasn't the case and so people really understood it and um and they always ask as well when I wasn't there for yeah for weeks or even days they always ask or they sent me letters which was really nice and uh, yeah that was really great to to grow up yeah that's awesome that's good to know so Let's talk a little bit about what happened then when your kidney got destroyed again. And you actually shared with me before how you fell into a very different situation. So talk to me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So there was the moment where so the kidney didn't work anymore properly. And I was already on dialysis. But the reason was like that they, so I was actually, I was really oh, still, still at my certain point, really uh, strong-willed. <laughs> so I didn't want to to let my parents and doctor tell me anything, what I have to do with the kidney. So they recommended over a long time that I have to remove it. So the first time I told myself that I have to remove it was when I, it sounds a little bit strange, but I really want to, to, to tell, yeah, because I was, I was walking in the bathroom, so everything that come out was blood. Mm-hmm. And that was the time when I realized, okay, no, it really, I really have to remove it. Actually, straight after the removal of the kidney, I realized now it's official that I have to go back, like that I'm on dialysis. Probably I wasn't really consciously aware that I have to be back mm-hmm. because I was kind of just focusing on the kidney. Mm-hmm. And after, after that, um, I just realized, okay, I have no more kidney and I have to go back on on those creepy dialysis three times a week. Mm-hmm. And um, when I realized, I always, I more and more realized that, yeah, what I'm going to do. And I, I got so much disappointment and I stored everything. I didn't talk, I didn't like to talk with, with my family about it. I just couldn't talk about it. That might be the better word to tell. So I ended up, I still got a picture where I was uh, lying on the couch for two weeks, actually didn't eat anything, didn't talk anything. My parents on and on come and ask me, hey, can we help anything? And I just couldn't speak. And uh, as well, I just moved. I even slept on the couch overnight. The only thing that I went, what got up was for the bathroom, which was maybe for five, six minutes per day. And uh, so I was so much like in a cave and all I talked about was like, hey, I, I don't want to live that life. And uh, 
I talked about to take my own life literally on and on again. I never tried it, but I was close to to thinking about hey, how I, how I'm going to that. I I didn't want to. Yeah, I just didn't know how to do it with eight years old. Uh-huh. I didn't want to. The only thing I think was like the bad half, but I didn't want to pay, have more pain by going away. And then somehow there was that side of telling me in the mind how it just ended, but there was also a little hope of telling me, hey, just don't do it, keep going. And after those two weeks, I think there was a little bit of um, the breakthrough when my parents, yeah, got help from professional pastoral care. And uh, they come to a home, prayed over me and spoke life over me. And I think that was the time when something happened inside me where I realized, okay, they, they might be, they, it, it was like kind of getting slowly back the emotional, physical as well, spiritual strength. And then slowly, of course, it didn't happen from one day to another, but slowly over weeks, I realized, okay, life can really go on within that circumstances. That's where I basically learned to to just creating and developing an attitude to, yeah, as I said already, to see the good things in everything, to be grateful, to continue with what I have, not to look at what I don't have. And uh, as well, creating a certain hope and expectancy for a better life in the future. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a huge journey. And of course, it wasn't an easy one. But I told, I somehow the more I went into the side of, okay, let's do it. Uh, let's change that uh, talk of, I want to finish it to, okay, there could be something good in it. The more I did that, the easier it went in, in the bigger in the bigger picture. And uh, yeah, that, that, was my, that was my journey of getting out of it. This is very powerful because I, I want to just add something and, and highlight that you were eight years old, right? By this time, or, or were you nine, eight, nine years old, probably? Yeah, After was, two years when you got the yeah, transplant? Yeah. 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 So eight or nine years old. And what people who don't have these very painful and life-threatening chronic illnesses so early mostly can't understand is how fast you have to grow up as a child. So... I always try to explain that, which has nothing to do of how much your family cares for you. Like my family took care immensely. Like they've been, it sounded like your family did the same for you. And my family also cared for me in the best possible way. But they just don't understand that there is something that your family cannot do for you. And this something is that you as this child, every single day, have to choose life over death. And this is so, it's such a powerful thing. It's like, and people 
don't understand that because they think the choice is not in your hand, but it is. It often mm -hmm. is until, and that sounds really harsh now, but until it isn't anymore, right? But for a lot of times we do have the choice because we, our bodies can do so much more than we can ever imagine. But it's, as you say, it's the victorious mindset, right? Mm -hmm. That keeps us going one step further. And we actually only need that one day and then the next one and the next one. We mm -hmm. don't need to wake up today and be like, I'm going to have to do this the whole life. No, first of all, you're going to have to do this today. And then tomorrow you can do another day and, and so mm -hmm. on, right? So I want to just highlight that because it's so extremely powerful also to know that you had as an eight or nine-year-old child and also before already, you had to make these choices, whether you knew it or not, whether it was conscious or unconscious, you had to make this choice. Today I'm waking up and I'm going to fight for my life. And then you go to sleep, going to sleep knowing tomorrow I want to wake up. Because if you don't go to sleep thinking tomorrow I want to wake up, you may not. Mm -hmm. And that was the same for you as it was for me for many years. I had to go to sleep and be like, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and it's going to be a fantastic day. And often it was a shit show. <laughs> you know, it was ridiculous, painful. It was not fun. I can tell you, but did I go to bed and be like, I want to wake up tomorrow because I'm sure it's going to be a great day. And it was another shit show. It was like 2020 in a whole day, you know? So, yeah. So I want to just highlight that. So what were your friends doing in these times? Did they visit you? Did, they, did you allow them to visit you? Did you want to see them at all? During the time of depression, mm -hmm. you mean, or after? No, both. I don't think. Both. Yeah, both. No, during the two weeks, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I just wanted to be with my own. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, I mean, yeah, of course, I had a, a visit in the hospital and all that, which was really great. And uh, I think there's always... I, uh, a point of where you want to be by yourself mm -hmm. at a certain pain point where you want to be yourself but then when it decreases, the pain point decreases, then uh, you want to get more people into your life because and that that's of course it's a personal personal behavior mm -hmm. and every every person is different I know people that are have the most stressful time and they they need a uh, hundred people around them and I'm quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I'm more like the opposite of well if I'm under stress, if I'm if I am on a certain pain point, I just need to shut down everything and not not opening the door for anything. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but each person is, is absolutely different. Yeah. What do you think as the child who has been suffering and be in pain and be in treatment so much, what do you think could have gotten you through these two weeks either different or faster? Or I don't want to see better because I'm not sure if there's a better, but maybe 
could your parents have done something different for you to open up to them? And I'm asking this because I'm sure there are parents out there that might have a similar situation and they don't know how to get to their kids and they don't know what to do for them. So as the one who has been the child, do you have anything that you could say, you know, if my parents would have done that, maybe I would have been opening up? Or do you think there was no way in at all? In my case, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. But what I felt like afterward, I think what parents can do is really, even if the child is resentful, just show them, show them love and respect. And even though my parents come to me and ask me and I didn't react, it doesn't mean that I didn't want it. Mm -hmm. I just kind of, I wanted to, but maybe I couldn't really show it. And so there's, the, the worst thing that could have happened was when my parent would never have come back. Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe Kat said, uh, uh, the first first day they come to me, I didn't say anything. And then they talked like, okay, he doesn't respond. It doesn't make sense to go. In. I think that would be the worst thing. But they they didn't do it because they, they knew the value of of unconditional love and um, and I'm so grateful for that because they daily and even more yeah I don't know the, the number of times they come back on a day that they ask me but there of course there are a few times they come back and ask me and so sometimes we are in certain way resentful without even know knowing why we do it and so nobody can do something about it, whether yourself or even though I wanted to talk and I was kind of resentful or reversed, might be the better word, being reversed. And But yet I couldn't, I just couldn't get it out of me because there was no, no strength left whatsoever. And... Uh, so that was that was my experience, but it's always I think always depends on the on the person on the behavior of the person. Yeah, I do love your notion though of this unconditional love because I feel that sometimes people they have this threshold of okay, I'm gonna ask one more time, and if they don't want it, I'm gonna let them be, and I. Feel personally, that's my personal opinion. I feel like it, as it has been for you, it can save lives to just keep going no matter how often you don't hear anything or you hear no, or maybe you even hear an I told you already 10 times I don't want it or whatever. But if you just keep going, as you just said, sometimes we cannot show the appreciation for the people who are caring about us and it has nothing to do with them, but everything about ourselves being in these situations. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that hit a really hard spot. If people would just, just love and keep on loving and maybe just forget about wanting something back for it, wanting a thank you, wanting a, 
that is so nice of you or ever wanting anything back, if they just keep doing it, they may even save lives with it without knowing. Mm -hmm. And I think this yeah. is so important, especially in those days now of internet trolling and social media keyboard warriors where there is not much love around online, but having people who do care about you and you know it, never mind if you cannot show it in the situation, but you do have at least one person that is not going to let you be mm. or let you go. I think that's super, yeah. super important. Yeah. And I think what, what best, not necessarily, not necessarily best in a sense of she's doing that, but most of, like, we all need appreciation. Like she's saying, I thank you for fighting. That could be a huge improvement or something like, yeah, saying thank you or just letting the person know that, yeah, even saying, hey, thank you for not giving up or thank you for keeping going and, and all that stuff might be super helpful. Mm. On the other side, as you mentioned, what like some we often react in terms of not knowing how to do it and then we say something that might go in the right opposite. And so sometimes it's better to um, shut off your mouth <laughs> than uh, <laughs> Saying anything but that because I, I realized many times throughout my life people say so many things that I they talk like oh, that's super good for me but it was kind kind of the opposite. Yeah. It might be good for a specific time but not for now. Yeah. And um so yeah, I think appreciation and saying thank you for someone it's really something that um Mm. and doesn't do any damage yeah and acknowledging them like yeah I see absolutely. you're fighting and I really appreciate you for it yeah yeah that's amazing so let's jump a little bit forward to the time where you finally got out of everything you're a little bit happier you got a little bit more stable in your life when was that that was with 10 years old, nine, nine and a half, 10 years old. And uh, I just kept going, um, going to school and going to the treatment three times a week, which was a really hard time because um, by the time I was that age, I had to travel one hour each way for the treatment mm. and then three to four hour treatment and then one hour back. And it was well, a long, long way. And um, at all after the treatment or before the treatment, I often had another appointment um, regarding my hearing or whatever might have um, gone wrong. And um, yeah, I just, I just had no option to, to push through it. And at the same time, I knew that's not going to be lifelong. And um, then what, like, shortly before my 11th birthday, I received my third kidney transplant. And this was, of course, another great experience. However, at that time, there was so much more fear involved of losing it again than 
the second one. So yeah, I had it at least for 30 months and the disappointment was still the same. But for me, it was like during the 13 months, I often had those talks of, well, now I got a kidney, but I got a kidney that all I ever wanted, but I still feel like something, yeah, something is missing in my life. And uh, so I, uh, I, as a person of faith, I basically realized that, well, actually not everything in this world is, is fulfilling us. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like there, there are so many things in this world that we think, okay, we can get, but then we still, yeah, we still have something missing. And that's the point where I realized that. And uh, I, I basically, for me, it's basically studying relationship with, with God who unconditionally is loving. And uh, for me, it was just a, a great new beginning. By And they were still doing the kidney transplant. Uh, let's say on the on, on the biggest, basically in the highest, biggest, best possible life that I could live. And um, I just feel like, no, I can't. I don't want to leave my life uh, basically fully alone, if uh-huh. that makes sense. And uh, so what happened at that point was like, I got so much hope and peace and love and so many things that I was basically looking within the kidney that I couldn't get. And uh, so after those 13 months, I was like, I did kidney got destroyed again. And um, I said, the disappointment was the same, but now the difference was that I had so much hope and so much peace and so much even joy was available that I didn't actually care about whether I have a kidney or not, because I just knew uh, that something is going to happen in the future that will be way more better and way more um, fulfilling my life, uh, whether I have a kidney or not. And uh, that was a little bit my experience um, that I really uh, discovered to, yeah, and it, it gave me as well so much strength because I realized that nothing... At a certain point in life, I believe that you can't do it by yourself anymore or nobody can help you. So you need someone that is way above, way above you. That's my belief, but um, it really has helped me. And yeah, that's what I believe to this day. And so did I understand that correctly, that ever since that third kidney was destroyed, you're living without? Exactly. So that was back in 2001 mm-hmm. when I had to go back to dialysis and until this day, actually the longest period of my life <laughs> for, uh, what is it, 11, yeah, almost 20 years. Next wow. year, 20 years. Yeah. So yeah. how is it going? Yeah, like the treatment itself is stable. I'm really um, grateful for I had a change in my treatment Mm -hmm. which meant like before I had hoses like kind of access that was how you say that staying my body kind Mm -hmm. of catheters 
and now I have access on my own, which allows me like since 2005, and I only had one issue with that. Before with the cadet, I always had like every one or second year, I had to change it mm. because of infections, of bleedings and all that. But since uh, 15 years, I have my, my it's called a shunt on my arm, which is really going well. What I really feel is the the whole thing of when you 31 years chronic ill and 27 years of those 31 years or 26 years of those um, years on dialysis three times a week, it really gets tiring. And um, mm. uh, as we probably know, most of us know that the longer you are chronically ill, the more it affects your psychological life and mental life. And uh, that's um, at the moment a big, big struggle. Not not big, big struggle in a sense that I can't do anything anymore, but I will have to think about something that like that helps me to to get out of uh, the mental tiredness and all that. And uh, I'm, I'm someone who is really uh, high on energy and I'm always yeah <laughs> I'm always need to do things mm-hmm. uh, but often time I just realized the mindset still can do it but the body doesn't it's like catch up sleeping. yeah <laughs> and uh, so that that's kind of the tension that I have at the moment I'm really grateful for um, it's quite kind of quite a miracle for the 26 years that I'm on dialysis that I'm really um, good on health and um, um, as well mentally still strong some days less some days more and uh, doing exercises going out and uh, yeah truly big miracle yeah it is indeed so do you have specific exercises from your victorious mindset that you are using to get you out of this luck or that if you wake up and you're like, oh, that's a great day, but you know what? I'm really exhausted from all of this. What is it? What is your favorite exercise to do for yourself? Great. So mostly in the morning, what I usually do is taking 15 minutes it's a time where I, for 10 minutes, yeah, kind of five to 10 minutes, I'm being grateful. No, actually, five minutes being grateful, five minutes asking for what I need, and five minutes for looking kind of in, let's say, in the future to, to having all to basically create a strong imagination to for all the dreams that I have in front of me. And I think, so what I realized, like the more we think about a certain thing, mm-hmm. the more we take action towards it. Yeah. And that's the same with the dream. Usually we have a dream, we dream it for maybe one, two years and then it's gone. But if you take it every day, I even do it uh, like, picture it on my bed walls or on my wardrobe wall, all the picture of the dreams that I want to to see in the future. So I'm uh, looking at it and really getting focused. If I'm really down or even otherwise, I'm just, yeah, some, some, sometimes it's just, just 
going away. Like last week, I had a day where I just uh, went on a ship cruise for one day and nice. turning off everything. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I often say like, yeah, work hard, but also play hard. That's and that's right. what I have to play harder. <laughs> and uh, that's what I'm learning at the moment. <laughs> and there are different other exercises. Like I think doing exercise physically is really great to to not being stuck in your in your own life or always looking at the problem. Get something that taking you away from from your big problem or your mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. So we're about to wrap up. I have two more questions that I ask everyone. So the first one is what does efficiency mean to you? Great question. I think like always staying on the track, um, not giving up, developing a routine that you like to do, not Mm -hmm. something you have to do. For me, that means, for example, since beginning of the year, I'm, I'm reading one hour a day, which I really love to do to to extend my awareness of certain situations that helps me to look at things differently. What else do we have? Yeah, it's just creating a life that really, because life itself is already bringing difficulties, so mm-hmm. why creating more? So right. better to, to do something that, that will you love to do and and yeah my my goal is is high in that too and I really love to 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 travel the world again to to speak around the globe and uh, yeah living living the life that really that basically within your strengths and your passion and your values that you want to live mm, I love that Last question, the, uh, last question for today. If you had to push the reset button and you are going to start business or whatever it is over again, but you keep the knowledge that you have, which of the three things would you keep doing over and over again to get back to success? Great question. I think really being grateful Mm. Like yeah, developing gratefulness and being content in everything. I know it's, it's a hard thing to do, but um, in the long run, it's really um, yeah, it's really, really worth uh, the fact. Um, the second thing is like I will definitely yeah, developing the the positivity of mm. looking yeah the positive things in life and not looking at what's not existing. Um, there are way too much negativity in this world, so we don't need any more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the third thing is, how to think about it, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably would. So what I realized as a kid, as a teenager, I always lived a life like I everybody else like you know in terms of developing an average life I probably will change that and going straight into yeah just developing a mindset of looking at the big picture not looking at not living life saying like okay I feel doing that today so I'm gonna do that and I'm really something of course I, I say like 
love doing something that you love, but on the other side, looking at the long term, um, there are a lot of things you can love and do that have a long term impact. Then, so I would start that way earlier than I have. I haven't done that maybe until 25 years old between 15 and 25 and uh, I will do that and some things I regret today that I haven't done it early but um, I can still catch up on that in the future take responsibility on myself yeah I love that well Nathaniel before I ask you where we can find you I want to thank you so much for coming on today sharing your story with us it's really incredible and truly a miracle and I love your energy that you uh, spread with us and share with us. So thank you so much for being here and taking the time for, for doing all of this for us. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. That's yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. So now before we leave, I definitely want to know where people can find you and what they can find there. All right. So I have two websites that you can check out. And one is um, my Life story, the personal website, which is nathanieltudbook.com. The other is the business website where you can check out what, uh, what Victoria's mindset, mentoring or speaking or whatever you need for you. And on both websites, there are, um, ah, sorry, the business website is called unlimitedu.co. And on both, there is a free ebook that you can download, which is called Four Steps to Unlimit Your Life. And then in case you are a parent with a child that has a struggle with a health limitation or whatever, I have a great offer for you on thinkvictoriously.com where you can um, get help with Victoria's Mindset Mentoring and great tools to get from. All right, everyone. So you know what to do. You go to the show notes because I'm almost sure that probably 95% of you don't know how to spell Nathaniel Zorbrück. And you want to check out the show notes for his websites. (laughs) And I will link them down below. You know where to find it. So just scroll down, click the links, and check out what the Victorious Mindset is about. And if you're a parent who has a kid with extreme health struggle, do go to the website thinkvictoriously.com. Perfect, yeah. That's right. And you do get a lot of resources there and support from Nathaniel with the Victorious Mindset. And that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Don't forget to subscribe because you do want to listen to more stories like Nathaniel's, that's for sure. Thanks. And I'll see or hear or kind of talk to you next week, I guess. You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.